0: Chapter 12 of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill This Librebox recording is in the public domain Chapter 12 This is your aunt Clarinda There was challenge in the severely spoken pronoun Aunt Hortense used it seemed to Marcia that she wished to remind her that all her old life and relations were passed away and she had nothing now but David's especially David's relatives she shrank from lifting her eyes, expecting to find the third aunt, who was older, as much sourer and sharper in proportion to the other two, but she controlled herself and lifted her flower face to meet a gentle, meek, old face set in soft white frills of a cap, with white ribbons flying, and though the old lady leaned upon a crutch, she managed to give the impression that she had fairly flown in her gladness to welcome her new niece. There was the lighting of a repressed nature let free in her kind old face as she looked with true pleasure upon the lovely young one, and Marcia felt herself folded in truly loving arms in an embrace, which her own passionate, much repressed, loving nature returned with heartiness. At last she had found a friend. She felt it every time she spoke, more and more. They walked out into the garden almost immediately, and Aunt Clorinda insisted upon hobbling along by Marcia's side, though her sisters both protested that it would be too hard for her that warm afternoon. Every time that Marcia spoke, she felt the kind old eyes upon her, and she knew that at least one of the aunts was satisfied with her as a wife for David, for her eyes would travel from David to Marcia and back again to David, and when they met Marcia's there was not a shade of disparagement in them. It was rather a tiresome walk through a tiresome old garden, laid out in the ways of the past generation, and bordered with much funeral box. The sisters, Amelia and Hortense, took the new member of the family conscientiously through every path, and faithfully told how each spot was associated with some happening in the family history. Occasionally there was a solemn pause for the purpose of properly impressing the new member of the house, and Amelia wiped her eyes with her carefully folded handkerchief, Marcia felt extremely like laughing. She was sure that if Kate had been obliged to pass through this ordeal, she would have giggled out at once and said some shockingly funny thing that would have horrified the aunts beyond forgiveness. The thought of this nerved her to keep a sober face. She wondered what David thought of it all, but when she looked at him she wondered no longer. For David stood as one waiting for a certain ceremony to be over, a ceremony which he knew to be inevitable, but which was wholly and familiarly uninteresting." He did not even see how it must strike the girl who was going through it all for him, for David's thoughts were out on the flood-tide of sorrow, drifting against the rocks of the might-have-been. They went in to tea presently, just when the garden was growing loveliest, with a tinge of the setting sun, and Marcia longed to run up and down the little paths like a child and call to them all to catch her if they could. The house was dark and stately and gloomy. "'You are coming up to my room for a few minutes after supper.' Whispered aunt Clarinda encouragingly as they passed into the dark hall. The supper table was alight with a fine old silver candelabra whose many wavering lights cast a solemn, grotesque shadow on the different faces. Beside her plate, the young bride saw an ostentatious plate of puffy soda biscuits, and involuntarily her eyes searched the table for the bread plate. Aunt Clorinda almost immediately pounced upon the bread plate and passed it with a smile to Marcia and as marcia with an answering smile took a generous slice she heard the other two aunts exclaim in chorus oh don't pass her the bread clorinda take it away sister quick she does not like salt-rising it is unpleasant to her then with blazing cheeks the girl protested that she wished to keep the bread that they were mistaken she had not said it was obnoxious to her but had merely given them her stepmother's opinion when they asked they must excuse her for her seeming rudeness, for she had not intended to hurt them. She presumed salt-rising bread was very nice. It looked beautiful. This was a long speech for shy Marcia to make before so many strangers, but David's wondering, troubled eyes were upon her, questioning what it all might mean, and she felt she could do anything to save David from more suffering or annoyance of any kind. David said little. He seemed to perceive that there had been an unpleasant prelude to this, and perhaps knew from former experience that the best way to do was to change the subject. He launched into a detailed account of their wedding journey. Marcia, on her part, was grateful to him, for when she took the first brave bite into the very puffy, very white slice of bread she had taken, she perceived that it was much worse than that which had been baked for their homecoming, and not only justified all her stepmother's execrations, but in addition it was sour. For an instant, perceiving down the horoscope of time whole calendars full of such suppers with the aunts and this bread, her soul shuddered and shrank. Could she ever learn to like it? Impossible. Could she ever tolerate it? Could she? She doubted. Then she swallowed bravely and perceived that the impossible had been accomplished once it could be again but she must go slowly else she might have to eat two slices instead of one david was kind he had roused himself to help his helper perhaps something in her girlish beauty and helplessness helpless here for his sake appealed to him at least his eyes sought hers often with a tender interest to see if she were comfortable and once when aunt amelia asked if they stopped nowhere for rest on their journey his eyes sought Marcia's with a twinkling reminder of their roadside nap and he answered "'Once, Aunt Amelia. No, it was not a regular inn. It was quieter than that. Not many people stopping there.' Marcia's merry laugh almost bubbled forth, but she suppressed it just in time, horrified to think what Aunt Hortense would say. But somehow after David had said that, her heart felt a trifle lighter, and she took a big bite from the salt rising and smiled as she swallowed it. There were worse things in the world, after all, than salt rising, and when one could smother it in Aunt Amelia's peach preserves, it was quite bearable.' Aunt Clarinda slipped her off to her own room after supper, and left the other two sisters with their beloved idol, David. In their stately parlor, lighted with many candles in honor of the occasion, they sat and talked in low tones with him, their voices suggesting condolence with his misfortune of having married out of the family, and disapproval with the married state in general. Poor souls! How their hard loving hearts would have been wrung could they but have known the true state of the case! and strange anomaly how much deeper would have been their antagonism toward poor self-sacrificing loving marcia just because she had dared to think herself fit for david belonging as she did to her renegade sister kate but they did not know and for this fact david was profoundly thankful those were not the days of rapid transit of telegraph and telephone nor even of much letter writing else the story would probably have reached the aunts even before the bride and bridegroom arrived at home as it was, David had some hope of keeping the tragedy of his life from the ears of his aunts forever. Patiently, he answered their questions concerning the wedding, questions that were intended to bring out facts, showing whether David had received his due amount of respect, and whether the family he had so greatly honored felt the burden of that honor sufficiently. Upstairs, in a quaint, old-fashioned room, Aunt Clorinda was taking Marcia's face in her two wrinkled hands, and looking lovingly into her eyes, then she kissed her on each rosy cheek and said, Dear child, you look just as I did when I was young. You wouldn't think it from me now, would you? But it's true. I might not have grown to be such a dried-up old thing if I had had somebody like David. I'm so glad you've got David. He'll take good care of you. He's a dear boy. He's always been good to me. But you mustn't let the others crush those roses out of your cheeks. They crushed mine out. They wouldn't let me have my life the way I wanted it, and the pink in my cheeks all went back into my heart and bursted a good many years ago but they can't spoil your life for you've got david and that's worth everything then she kissed her on the lips and cheeks and eyes and let her go but that one moment had given marcia a glimpse into another life story and put her in touch forever with aunt clarinda setting athrob the chord of loving sympathy when they came into the parlor, the other two aunts looked up with a quick suspicious glance from one to the other, and then fastened disapproving eyes upon Marcia. They rather resented it that she was so pretty. Hannah had been their favorite, and Hannah was beautiful in their eyes. They wanted no other to outshine her, albeit they would be proud enough before their neighbors to have it said that their nephew's wife was beautiful. After a chilling pause in which David was wondering anew at Marcia's beauty, aunt hortense asked as though it were an omission from the former examination did you ever make a shirt oh plenty of them said marcia with a merry laugh so relieved that she fairly bubbled i think i could make a shirt with my eyes shut aunt clorinda beamed on her with delight a shirt was something she had never succeeded in making right it was one of the things which her sisters had against her that she could not make good shirts any one who could not make a shirt was deficient clorinda was deficient she could not make a shirt meekly had she tried year after year humbly had she ripped out gusset and seam and band having put them on upside down or inside out never could she learn the ins and outs of a shirt but her old heart trembled with delight that the new girl who was going to take the place in her heart of her old dead self and live out all the beautiful things which had been lost to her had mastered this one great accomplishment in which she had failed so supremely but Aunt Hortense was not pleased. True, it was one of the seven virtues in her mind which a young wife should possess, and she had carefully instructed Hannah Heath for a number of years back while Hannah bungled out a couple for her father occasionally. But Aunt Hortense had been sure that if Hannah ever became David's wife, she might still have the honor of making most of David's shirts. That had been her happy task ever since David had worn a shirt, and she hoped to hold the position of shirt-maker to david until she left this mortal clay therefore aunt hortense was not pleased even though david's wife was not lacking and too even though she foreheard herself telling her neighbors next day how many shirts david's wife had made well david will not need any for some time she said grimly i made him a dozen just before he was married Marcia reflected that it seemed to be impossible to make any headway into the good graces of either Aunt Hortense or Aunt Amelia. Aunt Amelia then took her turn at a question. "'Hortense,' said she, and there was an ominous inflection in the word, as if the question were portentous, "'have you asked our new niece by which name she desires us to call her?' "'I have not,' said Miss Hortense solemnly. "'But I intend to do so immediately.' and then both pairs of steely eyes were leveled at the girl. Marcia suddenly was face to face with a question she had not considered, and David started upright from his position on the haircloth sofa. But if a thunderbolt had fallen from heaven and rendered him utterly unconscious, David would not have been more helpless than he was for the time being. Marcia saw the mingled pain and perplexity in David's face, and her own courage gathered itself to brave it out in some way. The color flew to her cheeks and rose slowly in David's, through heavy veins that swelled in his neck, till he could feel their pulsation against his stock, but his smooth, shaven lips were white. He felt that a moment had come which he could not bear to face. Then, with a hesitation that was but pardonable, and with a shy, sweet look, Marcia answered, and though her voice trembled just the least bit, her true dear eyes looked into the battalion of steel ones bravely. I would like you to call me Marcia, if you please. Marcia? Miss Hortense snipped the word out as if with scissors of surprise. But there was a distinct relaxation about Miss Amelia's mouth. She heaved a relieved sigh. Marcia was so much better than Kate, so much more classical, so much more to be compared with Hannah, for instance. Well, I'm glad, she allowed herself to remark. David has been calling you Kate till it made me sick. Such a frivolous name and no sense in it either marcia sounds quite sensible i suppose katherine is your middle name do you spell it with a k or a c but the knocker sounded on the street door and marcia was spared the torture of a reply she dared not look at david's face for she knew that there must be pain and mortification mingling there and she hoped that the trying subject would not come up again for discussion the guests began to arrive old mrs heath and her daughter-in-law and granddaughter came first Hannah's features were handsome, and she knew exactly how to manage her shapely hands with their long white fingers. The soft, delicate undersleeves fell away from arms white and well-molded, and she carried her height gracefully. Her hair was elaborately stowed upon the top of her head in many puffs, ending in little ringlets, carelessly and coquettishly straying over temple or ears or gracefully curved neck. She wore a frock of green, and its color sent a pang through the bride's heart to realize that perhaps it had been worn with an unkindly purpose. Nevertheless, Hannah Heath was beautiful and fascinated Marcia. She resolved to try to think the best of her and to make her a friend if possible. Why, after all, should she be to blame for wanting David? Was he not a man to be admired and desired? It was unwomanly, of course, that she had let it be known, but perhaps her relatives were more to blame than herself. At least Marcia made up her mind to try and like her. Hannah's frock was of silk, not a common material in those days, soft and shimmery and green enough to take away the heart from anything blue that was ever made. But Hannah was stately, and her skin as white as the lily she resembled in her bright leaf green. Hannah chose to be effusive and condescending to the bride, giving the impression that she and David had been like brother and sister all their lives, and that she might have been his choice if she had chosen but as she had not chosen she was glad that david had found some one wherewith to console himself she did not say all this in so many words but marcia found that impression left after the evening was over with sweet dignity marcia received her introductions given in miss amelia's most commanding tone our niece marcia marcie marshy, marshy, the bride heard old mrs heath murmur to miss spafford why i thought twas to be kate her name is marcia said miss amelia in a most satisfied tone you must have misunderstood marcia caught a look in miss heath's eyes alert keen questioning which flashed all over her like something searching and bright but not friendly she felt a painful shyness stealing over her and wished that david were by her side she looked across the room at him his face had recovered its usual calmness though he looked pale he was talking on his favorite theme with old Mr. Heath, the newly invented steam engine and its possibilities. He had forgotten everything else for the time, and his face lighted with animation as he tried to answer William Heath's arguments against it. "'Have you read what the Boston Courier said, David? Long in June it was, I think,' Marcia heard Mr. Heath ask. Indeed, his voice was so large that it filled the room, and for the moment Marcia had been left to herself while some new people were being ushered in it says david that the project of a railroad from boston to albany is impracticable as everybody knows who knows the simplest rule of arithmetic and the expense would be little less than the market value of the whole territory of massachusetts and which if practicable every person of common sense knows would be as useless as a railroad from boston to the moon there david what do ye think of that and william heath slapped david on the knee with his broad fat fist and laughed heartily "'as though he had him in a tight corner. Marcia would have given a good deal "'to slip in beside David on the sofa "'and listen to the discussion. "'She wanted with all her heart "'to know how he would answer this man "'who could be so insufferably wise. "'But there was other work for her, "'and her attention was brought back "'to her own uncomfortable part "'by Hannah Heath's voice. "'Come right over here, Mr. Skinner, "'if you want to meet the bride. "'You must speak very nice to me "'or I shan't introduce you at all.' A tall, lanky man with stiff, sandy hair and a rubicund complexion was making his way around the room. He had a small mouth puckered a little as if he might be going to whistle, and his chin had the look of having been pushed back out of the way. A stiff fuzz of sandy whiskers made a hedge down either cheek, and but for that he was clean-shaven. The skin over his high cheekbones was stretched smooth and tight, as if it were a trifle too close a fit for the genial cushion beneath. He did not look brilliant, and he certainly was not handsome, but there was an inoffensive desire to please about him. He was introduced as Mr. Lemuel Skinner. He bowed low over Marcia's hand, said a few embarrassed, stiff sentences, and turned to Hannah Heath with relief. It was evident that Hannah was in his eyes a great and shining light, to which he fluttered as naturally as does the moth to the candle. But Hannah did not scruple to singe his wings whenever she chose. Perhaps she knew no matter how badly he was burned, he would only flutter back again whenever she scintillated. She had turned her back upon him now and left him to Marcia's tender mercies. Hannah was engaged in talking to a younger man. Harry Temple from New York, Lemuel explained to Marcia. The young man, Harry Temple, had large, lazy eyes and heavy, dark hair. There was a discontented look in his face and a looseness about the set of his lips that Marcia did not like, although she had to admit that he was handsome, something about him reminded her of captain leavenworth and she instinctively shrank from him but harry temple had no mind to talk to any one but marcia that evening and he presently so managed it that he and she were ensconced in a corner of the room away from others marcia felt perturbed she did not feel flattered by the man's attentions and she wanted to be at the other end of the room listening to the conversation she listened as intently as she might between sentences and her keen ears could catch a word or two of what david was saying after all, it was not so much the new railroad project that she cared about, though that was strange and interesting enough, but she wanted to watch and listen to David. Harry Temple said a great many pretty things to Marcia. She did not half hear some of them at first, but after a time she began to realize that she must have made a good impression, and the pretty flush in her cheeks grew deeper. She did little talking. Mr. Temple did it all. He told her of New York. He asked if she were not dreadfully bored with this little town and its doings, and bewailed her lot when he learned that she had not had much experience there. Then he asked if she had ever been to New York, and began to tell of some of its attractions. Among other things he mentioned some concerts, and immediately Marcia was all attention. Her dark eyes glowed, and her speaking face gave eager response to his words. Seeing he had interested her at last, he kept on, for he was a possessor of a glib tongue, and what he did not know he could fabricate without the slightest compunction. He had been about the world and gathered up superficial knowledge enough to help him do this admirably. Therefore he was able to use a few musical terms, and to bring before Marcia's vivid imagination the scene of the performance of Haydn's great creation given in Boston, and of certain musical events that were to be attempted soon in New York. He admitted that he could play a little upon the harpsichord, and when he learned that Marcia could play also, and that she was the possessor of a piano, one of the latest improved makes, he managed to invite himself to play upon it. Marcia found to her dismay that she actually seemed to have invited him to come some afternoon when her husband was away. She had only said politely that she would like to hear him play some time, and expressed her great delight in music, and he had done the rest. But in her inexperience somehow it had happened, and she did not know what to do. It troubled her a good deal, and she turned again toward the other end of the room, where the attention of most of the company was riveted upon the group who were discussing the railroad, its pros and cons. David was the center of that group. "'Let us go over and hear what they are saying,' she said, turning to her companion eagerly. "'Oh, it is all stupid politics and arguments about that ridiculous fairy tale of a railroad scheme. You would not enjoy it,' answered the young man disappointedly. He saw in Marcia a beautiful young soul, the only one who had really attracted him since he had left New York, and he wished to become intimate enough with her to enjoy himself. It mattered not to him that she was married to another man. He felt secure in his own attractions. He had ever been able to while away the time with whom he chose. Why should a simple village maiden resist him? And this was an unusual one. The contour of her head was like a Greek statue. Nevertheless, he was obliged to stroll after her once she had spoken she had suddenly become aware that they had been in their corner together a long time and that aunt amelia's cold eyes were fastened upon her in disapproval the farmers would be ruined man alive mr heath was saying why all the horses would have to be killed because they would be wholly useless if this new fandango came in and then would where be a market for the wheat and oats "'Yes, and I've heard some say the hens wouldn't lay on account of the noise,' ventured Lemuel Skinner in his high voice, "'and think of the fires from the sparks of the engine. I tell you it would be dangerous.' He looked over at Hannah triumphantly, but Hannah was endeavoring to signal Harry Temple to her side and did not see nor hear. "'I tell you,' put in Mr. Heath's heavy voice again, "'I tell you, Dave, it can't be done. It's impractical. Why, no car could advance against the wind.' "'They told Columbus he couldn't sail around the earth, but he did it.' "'There was sudden stillness in the room, for it was Marcia's clear, grave voice that had answered Mr. Heath's excited tones, and she had not known she was going to speak aloud. It came before she realized it. She had been used to speak her mind sometimes with her father, but seldom when there were others by, and now she was covered with confusion to think what she had done. The aunts, Amelia and Hortense, were shocked. It was so unladylike.' a woman should not speak on such subjects she should be silent and leave such topics to her husband dear me she's strong-minded isn't she giggled hannah heath to lemuel who had taken the signals to himself and come to her side quite so quite so murmured lemuel his lips looking puffier and more cherified than ever and his chin flattened itself back till he looked like a frustrated old hen who did not understand the perplexities of life and was clucking to find out after having been startled half out of its senses. But Marcia was not wholly without consolation, for David had flashed a look of approval at her, and had made room for her to sit down by his side on the sofa. It was almost like belonging to him for a minute or two. Marcia felt her heart glow with something new and pleasant. Mr. William Heath drew his heavy gray brows together and looked at her grimly over his spectacles, poking his bristly underlip out in astonishment, bewildered that he should have been answered by a gentle, pretty woman, all frills and sparkle like his own daughter. He had been wont to look upon a woman as something like a kitten, that is, a young woman, and suddenly the kitten had lifted a velvet paw and struck him squarely in the face. He had felt there were claws in the blow, too, for there had been a truth behind her words that set the room a-mocking him. "'Well, Dave, you've got your wife well-trained already,' <laughs> he laughed, concluding it was best to put a smiling front upon the defeat. She knows just when to come in and help when your side's getting weak. They served cake and raspberry vinegar then, and a little while after, everybody went home. It was later than the hours usually kept in the village, and the lights in most of the houses were out, or burning dimly in upper stories. The voices of the guests sounded subdued in the misty, waning moonlight air. Marcia could hear Hannah Heath's voice ahead, giggling affectedly to Harry Temple, and Lemuel Skinner, as they walked one on either side of her, while her father and mother and grandmother came more slowly. David drew Marcia's hand within his arm and walked with her quietly down the street, making their steps hushed instinctively that they might so seem more removed from the others. They were both tired with the unusual excitement and the strain they had been through, and each was glad of the silence of the other. But when they reached their own doorstep, David said— you spoke well, child. You must have thought about these things. Marcia felt a sob rising and a tide of joy into her throat. Then he was not angry with her, and he did not disapprove as the two aunts had done. Aunt Clorinda had kissed her good night and murmured, You are a bright little girl, Marcia, and you will make a good wife for David. You will come soon to see me, won't you? And that had made her glad. But these words of David's were so good and so unexpected that Marcia could hardly hide her happy tears i was afraid i had been forward murmured marcia in the shadow of the front stoop not at all child i like to hear a woman speak her mind that is allowing she has any mind to speak that can't be said of all women there's hannah heath for instance i don't believe she would know a railroad project from an essay on ancient art after that the house seemed a pleasant place aglow as they entered it and marcia went up to her rest with a lighter heart but the child knew not that she had made a great impression that night upon all who saw her as being beautiful and wise. The aunts would not express it even to each other, for they felt in duty bound to discountenance her boldness in speaking out before the men, and making herself so prominent, joining in their discussions. But each, in spite of her convictions, felt a deep satisfaction that their neighbors had seen what a beautiful and bright wife David had selected. They even felt triumphant over their favorite Hannah and thought secretly that marcia compared well with her in every way but they would not have told this even to themselves no not for worlds so the kindly gossipy town slept and the young bride became a part of its daily life End of chapter twelve